Happy New Year to everyone from the horse box. Uh, we do feel like we've had a bit of a um, break from podcasting and we did have such a wonderful time over Christmas uh, because we did pass all the tests and we managed to get to Kate's outdoor banqueting hall, which she manages to cleverly adapt to every occasion. So we had lots of festivities. So Kate, do you think you feel rested up? <laughs> Not after you lot. Um, luckily, I escaped to see one of my children abroad, which was very exciting afterwards. Well done. And so, yeah, we're raring to go now, 2022. Well done. So you were quite happy with me steering the horse box while you were away? I knew it was in capable hands. <laughs> well, we've got to change the analogy today to steering the ship. Yes, we have a nautical theme, and we'll also be revealing our Christmas competition win- winner at the end of this show. Meanwhile, we're particularly excited by our latest guest, who can be found at dawn in many of our local villages, with his white van and an orderly queue of happy seafood lovers. We will hear about his life on the North Sea oil rigs and further afield to Fleetwood Fish Market in Lancashire. Yes, most lorry drivers know where they can park up for their well-earned brew and hearty full English. However, um, what about a few scallops and a bit of tasty sea bass? Yes, welcome John Laird runs Ocean Wave with his brother-in-law Matt, delivering fresh food from Fleetwood to North Wales, Cheshire and Lancashire. The quality and choice comes highly recommended. John, what do you like to drink with your fish supper? Well, probably I'd go for a nice Sauvignon Blanc, nice ice-cold glass of that, or maybe even a pot of tea. Yeah, Most fish restaurants in Fleetwood, fish and chip places or nice pot of tea with your fish and chips. So you have to be quite adaptable because um, on the rigs... You're not allowed any alcohol, are you? When I was on the rigs, no, no alcohol. So it was a dry two weeks or month or whatever schedule I was working. And they're very strict because of the high health and safety rules. Yeah, very yeah, very strict, yeah. Um, obviously, it wouldn't be the first time I've been breathalysed. Oh, they breathalyse you? Oh. Sometimes, yeah. If they think you've had a bit too many, they will breathalyse you in the morning before you get on a flight. And obviously... It could mean your job, so it's not worth it. No, not, not at all. So does the sort of the way you're looked after compensate for that? Do they give you nice food and look after you? Well, I probably, I spoke to my brother about this, who worked on the oil rigs before he worked in the, on the ships, and he probably compared it to the same as me, probably like a, a bus trucker trail. <laughs> it's, it was a hit or a miss with the food, really. Some really? days it was good, some days it was bad. Some guys were good cooks, some guys were not. Obviously, they, some some people really took care in what they did, you know, but there were some people who just didn't and they just put a meal menu out and that's how it was. Gosh, so no en-suites and room service then? No, none of that, no. Oh, no. no. Not even when you're on the ships abroad, not just the oil rigs? No, no, it was all, no, it was all, everyone went to the galley and ate together and that's the way it was, yeah, everyone ate as a team and we all, yeah, we all did that. I should think after a hard day's work you'd want a decent meal. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I used to look forward to a steak night on a Saturday night or curry night, that was the favourite time of the week, or Sunday lunch, followed by a sticky toffee pudding, no matter where you go in the world. There's always a sticky toffee pudding available. (laughs) Well, cheers, John. Yes, cheers. The best ships are friendships. Absolutely. John, tell us how your seafaring connection began in your family. Well, obviously, yeah, my family's a big seafaring family. 
Um, it sort of started, obviously my family legacy started probably with my nan's first husband. His name was Ernest John Parker and he was awarded the DSM uh, and he won a medal in June 1940 and he was serving on the trawler HM Uberty which was sent to Dunkirk and he was manning the uh, Olicon machine guns and uh, he, he won the DSM for shooting down enemy stuckers. So after that he went to sea on a trawler the Goth, uh, the last week in November 1948. He was married for two weeks to me nan. And after that, he, um, they sailed up to Iceland um, on the Goth. And the, the vessel went down in uh, 90, mile an hour, 90 mile an hour wind storms. All hands lost, 21 guys. So my nan, was only, my nan was only married two weeks. And so after that, they didn't find any wreckage. There was nothing only 50 years later, they trolled the funnel of the ship off the seabed, and that's when they found the wreckage of the goth. But all hands lost, yeah. And then she met, then she met my granddad John, and that's how the legacy started. Also, uh, he was a big fisherman. My dad was a fisherman, and my middle brother Stephen, he works on the wind farms in uh, in Taiwan and all over Asia, erecting wind farms. And my younger brother's in the Merchant Navy. He's a captain in the Merchant Navy on the ferries uh, for Stenerline. Yeah. And you said your father was a fisherman? Yeah, my father was a deep-sea fisherman for many years. He was involved in the two Cod Wars. And he, uh, he after the Cod Wars finished, the fishing industry just was big in decline. So he was made redundant. And then he started his career in the offshore oil and gas industry. So did he initiate you into fishing? Did he first take you deep sea fishing? No, no. I went, I went fishing when I was a young lad uh, on a trawler with, it was my godfather, my dad's best friend named Harry Buckley. And I went to sea for two weeks when I was about 10. It's a great experience. I was sick for three days of it. <laughs> in the summer holidays or something? Yeah, in the summer holidays, yeah. We were in... Uh, some, me and his son, uh, Paul Buckley, yeah, we went in the summer holidays for two weeks. It's just so how, it's many, how many were on the boat? How many? Uh, probably about eight, eight people, yeah. eight, eight or nine, yeah. So this didn't put you off? Uh, you no, yeah, it sort of put me off. The three days of seasickness killed me. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then when I was working offshore, I went with my father-in-law, Phil. I, was, I sprained my ankle. And I couldn't go back to work. I was fit, but I couldn't go back to work. So he said, why don't you come to sea with me for five days? So I went with him and he actually worked. And uh, it's tiring work. And I don't know how these guys did it three weeks at a time when they went up to Iceland. Then come home for two days, land the fish and then go back. That must have been a hard life. Yeah, it certainly looks hard. So you took to the oil rigs and that wasn't, well, a piece of cake either. No, yeah, um, I started in 2001, um, I started in Shipyard on a rig called the JW McLean and we spent, uh, we spent, I think it was three trips in Shipyard and I went to, they painted all this nice picture when I went in for my interview <laughs> and then I was lifted onto the oil rig and it was like, it was like downtown Beirut to be honest. Oh my there God. things happening everywhere and welding sparks flying, I thought, what have I got myself into? Didn't you say you were a firefighter? On yeah, yeah, I was fire team, fire team leader. Uh, later on, I was a fire team member. Then I was a fire team leader, helicopter firefighting, just to do various courses throughout your offshore career, you know. And, and what uh, was the biggest thing you had to deal with? 
Um, probably an emergency uh, helicopter landing. Um, obviously, it was middle of the night. We was on night shift, and the radio room had a, an emergency call from a helicopter that was in the air, and he was having troubles, and he had a fire alarm uh, come up on his dash. But obviously, these 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 helicopters nowadays they have onboard firefighting systems, which can maybe you know alleviate the problem. But as a precaution, he wanted to land on our deck because he didn't know what was happening in his engines. To be honest. So, like, obviously, he called the radio room and said, look, we're going to have to make emergency landing here. We need all your crew ready. We need everybody ready on the heli deck. Firefighting equipment ready. So, obviously, anxiety is through the roof at that point. You think this is really happening. The buzzers were going off, red buzzers. And... Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, yeah, the, basically over the PA system, uh, everybody to the heli deck, all firefighting crew to the heli deck because there's a helicopter coming in quick and he's going to land and um, we don't know what problems he's got. He said he's got a fire alarm, but obviously we had to have the equipment ready at the time mm. just in case anything happened, but that was a scary moment for us. We thought all this training that we've done might have to come into practice. Is the passengers on board? You know, everything what you'd learned was we'd have to think about at the time. So that was a pretty scary moment for us. But it worked out all right in the end. Yeah, it worked out all right. He landed on deck. Um, and um, obviously we, we, we was inspect walking around the helicopter checking for leaks and everything and then he was happy that there was no fire no smoke so he sat on the deck for a while and then after about 20 minutes he took off back to Aberdeen mm-hmm. so 12 hour shifts yeah. took us through the sleeping arrangements sleeping arrangements well one, one person in a cabin at a time 12 hours on 12 hours off in shipyard, if you was in shipyard and they needed all the personnel on board, uh, you'd probably hotbed it and maybe two years in a cabin, which I didn't quite like. I've slept with some roughy tufty oil men. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the clean, cleanest, oh. it wasn't the cleanliest of people, some of them, you know. Um, yeah. It's not for the faint hearted, is it? No, I walked in, uh, I walked into my cabin one night and I could smell something. I thought, I said to, I said to the guy who was sleeping in the same cabin with him, I said, what's that smell? He went, oh, nothing. I said, his locker was open and there were 12 plates stacked up in his locker, still bits of food on and tobacco all over his locker. And I thought, oh, no, I can't sleep like this. I said, you're going to have to clear them plates out, mate, because I can't handle this. (laughs) And presumably smoking isn't encouraged anyway. Not in the cabins, no smoking in the cabins, but who knows where he was smoking. It could have been in the toilet or in the shower or anything like that. Designated smoking areas mm-hmm. offshore. So roughly, how many people are on? I mean, obviously they vary, but uh, yeah, on the, yeah, on the smaller semi-submersibles, you're looking at about maximum POB people on board. It's probably about ninety people, and obviously the big drill ships, you could have a maximum of up to two hundred people on board. I've watched some of the YouTube um, videos of what it's like on an oil rig, and it does give a, a sort of very James Bond feel to it you know going down those big concrete stanchions you can get right down to the seabed yeah they, and the pressure on i was in awe of it the pressure on those concrete yeah have well, you been down to no the well the, these are platforms platforms attached to the seabed oh. these actually produce produce the oil which is then pumped to shore they bring it up for the well the rig that i was on was actually drilling for oil right and it was a floater so it floated on two pontoons 
And, um, is that safer or less safe than a fixed? Well, it moved about a lot in winter. I can so you've that. got to cope with a moving platform mm. and then a moving helicopter Mo- to yeah, make contact. And obviously, working on the deck was pretty hard in winter, especially in rough weather. Obviously, moving loads when you're moving loads with the cranes. Um, so obviously, it made for a tough day if the weather was bad, especially in the North Sea. Yeah, definitely. And you made lifelong friendships. Yeah. Obviously working yeah, so hard. Absolutely, yeah. Obviously, because you're in a small-knit community offshore, you know, it's like you, it's like your brothers. You work, you know, you're working day yeah. in, day out. You know, so you, you create a, a good bond with people offshore. And, uh, you know, you work together, you know. So one mistake by one of you yeah, it could have cost. has a knock-on effect, potentially. Absolutely, yeah. Did that ever happen? Um not as much as I know. I've seen a couple of incidents where people smash their fingers in and yeah. stuff like that, you know, but nothing too serious, thank God. Yeah. So thank goodness for Wi Fi, I imagine, in this day and age. Absolutely, yeah. Televisions in rooms. Well, years ago, they didn't have televisions. You know, you just had a big TV room where every, everybody yeah. congregated, congregated and smoked, and that was it. But TVs in rooms. It let you get away from all the, you know, just a bit of you time as such, you know, mm. get away from it all and then, you know, you could relax and in your own cabin. Mm. And what about the fitness side? Gyms? Gyms. Saunas? Gyms. There was a sauna on my first rig, yep, that I was on. There was a sauna in there. Um, but if it was cold at night, we used to take our boots off and go and sit in there when there was <laughs> nothing going on. Yeah, it wasn't for recreational use, just to get warm. <laughs> But yeah, gyms, yeah, a lot of those gyms on board, yeah. So it was good to get in, release a bit of tension from the day on the running machines or whichever. And the commuting by helicopter is as dangerous as the work when you're there, really. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really like flying in helicopters. My wife said he always liked flying before I worked offshore, because I did. And then I started flying in helicopters and yeah, some some hairy moments in helicopters. So that was the scariest time, really. The, for me, the, the for helicopter me, flight. Yeah, I didn't really. You hear about all these horror stories about helicopters ditching and stuff like that. You know, I used to get a bit ang- anxious mm. before I ever got on one. You know, and that's the way I, I always did. And it, I'm sure it's, it leads to a lot of anxiety for me getting on a helicopter because you just never know, especially rough weather. You know. So well. you're glad to get to the van <laughs> and see happy people in the queue. Absolutely, yeah. doesn't feel like a job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the price of oil has a lot to play. I don't understand it, but the price of oil means, you know, there are jobs or there aren't jobs, and that sent you all around the world. Were there any special considerations when you, you know, you've worked in the Lebanon and Egypt, and did you come across any extra difficulties like language difficulties or? Yeah, um, obviously language, language difficulties. When I worked in, I first went to work in Gabon when I first went abroad in 2014 and it was a different world for me. It felt like a bit of an adventure, you know, going to a foreign country and working. Mm. You know, I remember landing in Gabon and as soon as you, they opened the door, the humidity hit you and I thought, oh, I've got to work in this, you know. And uh, But working offshore, yeah, it was very hard communication with the locals. Obviously, they had an interpreter, but, you know, it was it was still doubly hard because you had to go over the plans twice, maybe three times with them, so they'd actually listen, you know, it'd actually get through to them. You know, just that language language difference made it hard. So that was quite tough. You didn't have the waves, but you had other difficulties. Yeah, all the difficulties, yeah, especially with the language barriers. 
and you know try to get them all motivated as well when you've got a crew of eight people to look after you know you've shown us a, a lot of pictures of, of the catches on your deep feet sea trip with your godfather have you ever caught anything unusual yeah, in these nets sharks have you sharks yeah which are put back and uh you obviously knew what they were yeah and obviously the um a bumper car from the fair and how that got into the sea i do not know uh, so it weighed a ton but a big bumper car maybe it fell off a ferry i don't know but yeah a dodgem car was trolled off the Gosh. seabed <laughs> sustainable catch amazing yes <laughs> So when you were on the oil rigs, it must have been very difficult leaving your wife, Janine, and your two daughters, Isabel and Matilda. Yeah, it was hard, especially when they were younger. You know, obviously, my wife always said to me, she knew when I was going back two days before because my mood had changed rapidly. Mm. So it was hard when it was younger. We struggled with Matilda, with Isabel, sorry, our firstborn. We struggled with her, or Janine did. She wanted me to leave offshore, but, you know, to seek a better life, I stayed. You know, I'm glad I did. And then we had Matilda, and uh, we sort of, like, got into the routine, you know, of me working offshore, coming home, going back, and that's how it was for 20 years, yeah. That must have been fairly common of your workmates, having yeah. the same Yeah, same difficulties. You always talked about problems, you know, and mm. all this and that, you know, divorces. Really? <laughs> Yeah, and oh, I'm leaving offshore. I can't be doing with it. Always this. So it's a short term. Yeah. A short term thing. Yeah, so you know, and then you got into your trip, and you were sort of like, first few days offshore is always hard, no matter if it's two weeks or it's a month or it's seven weeks, and it was hard, you know. And then you got into your routine of your shifts, and then it sort of got easier, you know. And then you, then before you know it, helicopters on deck in twenty minutes, basically. So it's feast and famine, really. The yeah. deprivation and then a long spell Absolutely. with the family. Yeah, Christmas was hard. Christmas was very hard. Were they good on the emotional side, though? Obviously, if your wife was having a baby or something, could they rejig your shift? Yeah, was it? yeah. Thankfully, I was I was home for both both my daughters' births. I left the week. I left the rigs a week early. So yeah, I was home for both their births, which which I'm glad, you know, which I was glad for. I know a, I know a lad who wasn't home for any of his. His three girls, one of my friends, he was aware for three births. In 2021, um, you joined your brother-in-law, Matt, and joined Ocean Wave. Your family must have been hugely relieved. Yeah, yeah, they're huge relieved, apart from my wife says, oh, she's not got the bed to herself anymore. <laughs> so it's not between her and the dog. <laughs> Same we're, problems as everybody else yeah, now. <laughs> we're all fighting for the bed, yeah. Which it does after 4 a.m. She can <laughs> yeah, move over then. She can spread out, yeah, and the dog can get on the bed then. But yeah, she said, yeah. But sometimes my daughters are like, are you not going back to sea yet? Or something like that, you know. I do get on the nerves, but I'm just a proper dad, you know. <laughs> So what time does your daily alarm go off nowadays? Uh, 3.45 in the morning. Tomorrow my alarm will be set for 3.45. So that's easy for you now, isn't it, uh, after what you've gone through? It's sort of, yeah, but it is early. That's early. I never got up that early when I was offshore. Obviously, the hardest part is just getting up. And then once you're on the dock, I'm on the dock for 4 o'clock every morning. So, you know, get up at, get up at 3.45 dress straight away, straight onto the dock, no messing, and get get loaded up. Is it pre-ordered, your fish sort of thing? Yeah, most of the fish is pre-ordered. Um, obviously, the fish 
is landed from various ports in the countries, which the main buyers on the dock, they obviously phone and tell them what they want because they roughly know what they need for the week. And then the fish will come in wagons. Uh, 90% of it will come in wagons. There is a smattering of day boats that come in and they will land a catch from out in the bay. Uh, but the majority of fish will come from overland. So we can put our order in because we know what's coming in because they've already told us we're getting so many amount of haddocks, cod or whatever we're getting. Then that'll be filleted for us. So it's there ready for us to go. But the boxes will be there. And if we need, need anything extra or we need anything that somebody might want, which we don't normally have on the van, we can always pick that out and yeah, say, right, we're going to eat this. Person. Or, you know, if something looks good, we might say, oh, I'm going to put some of that on the van today. Maybe a bit of Dover sole or anything like that. Something that puzzles me is when you put those nets down and you're out at sea, how do you know what you're catching? How do you know it's going to be a nice big net of hake or cod? Uh, well, I've spoken to my father-in-law about this. You don't know what you're catching. There's, he says there's an abundance of cod at the minute. They can't get away from it. They've put all the quotas up for the fish, for all the whitefish apart from cod. But you just can't get away from the cod at the minute. They're trolling it up all the time. Mm. Don't know. So, we should be telling the world this, should we? So, <laughs> quiet. Does that? Why is there so much cod at the moment? Then, do you think? Yeah, I just I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. No, it's just the the, the catching nature's it all the time. Mystery, one of nature's mysteries. That's it. Yeah, that's it. One of nature's mysteries. What's the ethos behind um, Ocean Wave? What do you aim to provide for your clients? Yeah, just a good service, you know, and bring the freshest fish we can bring to them all over the countryside where people can't get fish or they're nowhere near a market or anything like that. Well, it's been a revelation to us in in the villages. Before lockdown, we had to go to a supermarket where it's nothing like what you're bringing around in your vans. Yeah, I have been told, especially people in Overton when I first came here, they they love the salmon, the sea bass as well. You know, they, they said it's nothing like we've had before. Obviously, we get the freshest we can get and we get it out to you guys. Yeah, so it's a long day. So you trawl through the villages and what time do you return home? Uh, well, you're looking at about maybe a 12 to 14 hour day, roughly. So depending on traffic, which is really bad at the minute, you know, especially in summertime, the M6 is normally it's mad, especially in summer with caravans and camper vans. So you could be looking and adding an extra hour on your day. So maybe I think the longest I've did is about 15 hours by the time you get finished up, cleaning, getting rid of the fish. Uh, yeah, about 15 hours sometimes. But on, on winter days, maybe about 12 hours, 12 and a half hours. And you get a good reception in all the Welsh villages? Absolutely, yeah. People love the fish. Especially in Overton, you get a good customer base in Overton, you know, and all, all through the villages, Get me regular customers. Mm. It's, it's, um, it's partly down to your chatter, though. Yeah, I mean, you good. do. I mean, when you first <laughs> said to me about fighting fires on the oil rigs, I was straight on the phone to Kate. What about this? You know, <laughs> you have got the patter, and that helps to sell, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose you've got to have a good rapport with the yeah, customers. You've got yeah. to be approachable. That's it, yeah. Do you have a large thermos of tea in your van to keep you going? Bottle of brandy. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I uh, I like to stop at uh, services and get a nice Costa coffee or Starbucks. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I can't carry on without the coffee. So at Fleetwood, do you find that there are characters there that have this personality that you enjoy dealing with? Is yeah, that Mr. Uh, Birdseye, you know, with his beard <laughs> or anything like that? 
Yeah, you might get a couple of old old sea, sea dogs. dogs. Yeah, old sea dogs that you know who would probably look that way about, you know. But other times, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning when them guys are starting. So by the time we get on the dock, they're all wide awake and we're all, mm. you know, mm. heads down. Get your ice, get your fish, mm. <laughs> load up, you know. Well, some of the younger ones might look upon you as an old sea dog. <laughs> <laughs> what about your clients? Do you notice the difference between Wervenbury and Wilmslow? Yeah, definitely more posh. Spill? Definitely more posher in Wilmslow, I think. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say Wervenbury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Wervenbury and Alton. So, so they, we- get, they get dressed up to um, do their shopping, do they? Yeah, I tend to find round here it's all muddy boots and. Muddy boots and uh, riding riding gear. <laughs> Dirty cars <laughs> that have been through the mud. Plenty of mud. Yeah, plenty of mud. And what about the age demographic of your... Uh, middle-aged, middle-aged upwards, definitely. You don't get as many younger people. I don't know, maybe it's the frightened of how do you cook fish and stuff, but probably using a piece of steak to cook. But yeah, probably middle-aged to older people for the fish, yeah. And what happens to all the fish you don't sell? Uh, that's sold to the merchants on the dock. Mm-hmm. They'll buy the fish off us. I really like the fact that every time you come with the van, it's the fresh. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. fresh, but, you know, stock. That's incredible. Have you had any particularly unusual requests? Because obviously people are going to order especially yeah. for you. Malpass fish heads for a school. That was oh. on. That was on Monday. Yeah, can I have some fish heads? I was like, "What are they for?" Oh, for school, for science. Oh. <laughs> so I pull out these two fish heads. Oh, yeah, okay, we'll have them. <laughs> oh, that's very good in this day and age. So, what do you enjoy doing when you're not um, involved in fishing? Uh, I like to go walking with a wife now and then when when we get time. Um, cycling, swimming, triathlon. Which so you're I'm, very sporty then? Yeah, sporty, yeah. I'm trying to get back into it, um, obviously, because of lockdown. I wasn't really doing much when I was offshore, and it sort of carried on, really, but I'm trying to get back into it now. So, um, yeah, try to get back into the triathlon. I've got an event booked in June, which I'm hoping to take part in. So does fish constitute a, a big part of your diet to yeah, keep healthy? I'm eating more fish now than I ever have. What's your yeah. favourite to take home to the family? We like salmon. My eldest daughter, Isabel, she'll draw the line at haddock or any white fish. She won't have salmon. But me and my wife and my youngest daughter, Matilda, we'll eat the salmon. Yeah, but it's mostly salmon and probably haddock. Yeah, Yeah, but salmon's very popular, isn't it? Yeah, it is a popular fish. Shall we move on to the quick-fire questions, Kate? Yes, I'll it's our speciality. with cruise or safari. It's got to be a cruise. Summer deliveries or winter? Uh, I like summer, but I'm tending to swing more to winter now because just for the traffic. Team sport or triathlon? Triathlon. Cocktail or beer? Beer. Best seafaring film? Perfect Storm. Is it George Clooney? Yeah, Yeah. brilliant. Sushi or sausage? I had an argument with this about my wife. (laughs) I said sausage, but I know I like sushi. I like your sushi, me. Both then. Oh, it's Both. very popular at the moment, sushi. Yeah, it is very popular, yeah. Now, Healthy. We're usually looking forward to this one. A joke or a motto? Okay, yeah. Uh, what's the fastest fish in the sea? 
I don't know. What's the fastest fish in the sea? A motor pike. Well done. Very good, John. That was brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, I think it's been absolutely fascinating hearing about... Yeah, we've been very lucky to be able to get John to come all the way from Fleetwood to talk to us in our lorry. Thank you so much. Well, I will definitely be in the queue for some oysters on a Thursday morning. I've been learning how to shook them. It's not difficult. Yes, all this seafood chat has inspired me to have another go at growing samphire again this year. It wasn't a huge success last time, but I'm determined to crack it. I was also fascinated to hear that my co-host has been watching Riggers on YouTube videos. Say no more, Mrs R. Well, I didn't spot John on there, but our grateful thanks to him for being so generous with his time to explain the background to Ocean Wave. We were so lucky to learn about a whole aspect of our food culture that we knew so little about, but it has a lot of parallels to farming which we can relate to. John's offshore work went on for 20 years, but he now has his feet firmly on the ground. All Matt and John's deliveries can be found on their website, Ocean Wave of Cheshire, where you can find all contact details and delivery schedules. Finally, as promised, the winner of our Christmas competition, Sue Owen. G4S will be delivering shortly. Oh, well done, Sue. And remember... You can always give us any feedback on our email address from thehorsebox at gmail.com. We look forward to our March episode when it could be you in the driving seat. Music.